You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon and welcome to the final edition of the Bo's Nose Show for 2020 as it's almost the new year and thank goodness. So, you know, I, I went back and, and looked at different things that happened this year and, and went through the entire year. I've actually got five pages worth of notes over here <laughs> to remind myself of everything that went on. I'm amazed it took five pages, but... Uh, yeah, when you go through all that stuff, it can get kind of depressing when it's 2020 we're talking about. Be glad to see this year out the door. But I want to say welcome to the Bose Nose Show. I'm your host, Westland County Commissioner, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. And uh, just want to remind folks that if you have some memory of something that happened in 2020 or something that about the year in review you want to talk about, or if you want to talk about what's going to happen next year, you can always give us a call because we like to talk about what you want to talk about at 646-721-9887 and just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation and not just calling to listen. Again, 646-721-9887. So, you know, I went through all this stuff and, you know, COVID, Black Lives Matter, riots, wildfires, floodplain ordinances, you know, taxation without representation. And, you know, it just, you know, all it made me want to do is drink wine, pet my poodles, and take a nap. So I am wearing the appropriate T-shirt for the day. For those of you that are on Facebook Live and have the video feed, I was telling Robin that I've been trying to wear some of my dark-colored T-shirts because I, I, I forget to wear them in the wintertime and it gets to be summertime and I hate being dressed in dark colors in the summertime. So all my light-colored shirts are wearing out, so I've got to remember to wear all these dark colored shirts and this just happened to be one of them and it was appropriate for today as we go over the year in review and, and man there's a lot to talk about it's been a busy year so way back in January before anyone even heard what the word COVID was or anything like that you know we started the year out on the Bose No Show talking about things like human trafficking with Kellyanne Stiles and anti-bullying with Julie Nowicki and the Elrod Center. And there were other issues that were going on then, like my fellow commissioners were getting ready to give away part of our Lane County Fairgrounds to the housing authority for an affordable housing project for families 
100 yards away from the, the midway and stage area for our rock concerts at the fairgrounds. It was something that, you know, it was just a, a future disaster in the making. And uh, I fought against it in, in January and, and February. And eventually in the summer of 2020, my commissioners finalized that decision and gave that property away. And one of these days when their families are living there, they're going to rue the day they did that. If we ever get back to the point where our fairgrounds can reopen, because, of course, they're, they're not really doing anything right now at the fairgrounds other than, you know, we're doing some COVID testing there. We've had some open court procedures there because we could spread people out enough. And we've done a little bit of, of uh, Egan Center housing there and smoke respite center, but we haven't used the fairgrounds like a fairgrounds and event center uh, since probably January, <laughs> maybe into February. But, uh, you know, at, at, in January, we also came to the, you know, sudden realization, I shouldn't say we did, but the school boards around our state and locally here, like 4J, that had passed these massive uh, tax levies to support construction, suddenly realized that their budget wasn't going to go as far as they thought they were because the new corporate activities tax that the state put on was increasing the construction costs of their projects. Imagine that. Oh, my God. <laughs> A tax crease causing increased prices. Did anyone warn you about that? So that was kind of January here in Lane County. And as we moved into February, it started out with our chair, Heather Buck, who represents East Lane County and, and an even larger geographic rural area than I do, uh, voting three times in a single meeting against the interests of her uh, rural constituents. You know, the first thing she did in that February meeting was vote for the property purchase that I started advocating against in January. The next thing she did was vote to support the UN Declaration of Human Rights and Climate Change, you know, which, if you follow it, would basically give rights to things like soil and rocks and inanimate objects and allow third parties to sue on behalf of those you know, objects' rights um, and would cause incredible problems for farmers and uh, foresters and anyone making a living out in, in rural Lane County. But she voted to support that, um, even though I pointed out that the, the problems with that UN resolution. Um, and then on top of that, I tried to get the board to reconsider um, and rejoin the Association of Oregon and California Railroad Lands Counties or AOCC for short, and she refused to support that. So in three separate actions, she basically was, you know, not supportive of her rural communities. She does represent a small portion of Eugene, so maybe that's who she was representing with those votes. Uh, but uh, 
you know, those of you out there in, in the wilds of East Lane County that have to make a living off the land, um, just remember those votes that your, your commissioner made back in the first meeting of February. And then thinking way back to February, this seems like so long ago, there was this major battle going on up in Salem about something called, you know, the, the carbon cap and tax bill that they were proposing. And there was this huge rally that was held that I got to attend by the folks called Timber, a group called Timber Unity. And it was a, an amazing event. And it kind of supplied the backbone uh, to something that happened later in March. But, uh, you know, we, you know, it was an amazing thousands of people there, grossly underestimated by the press as far as the size of the crowd went. And uh, it was pretty impressive, you know, the, the number of trucks circling, circling the, the uh, Capitol, and you saw different trucks showing up from 6 in the morning till you know, 3 in the afternoon when I finally left Salem. I got up there at 6, and it was just an amazing event. Um, you know, it was just really, uh, you know, something else. And then, uh, you know, we, you know, this is back before a lot of other things happened. In February, I was working, believe it or not, with the city council and the school board here and the sheriff's department trying to figure out a way to get a school resource officer in the Fern Ridge schools and how we're going to fund that. So think about how ancient history it would be seeing today's headlines are talking about how the city of Eugene's going into the next year with no school resource officers and no clear communication plan between them and the police department right now. The, I mean, the, the uh, 4J school district, because they basically threw their school resource officers out after some of the stuff that happened later in 2020. But back in February, I was actually trying to work out a way to fund a school resource officer. And it was being warmly received by the community at the time. And then it, once again, later in February, our chair, um, Heather Buck, at a meeting of the Association of Oregon Counties, which is the entire, all, all of the counties in Oregon, um, our members of that, voted to support a bill that would have given unemployment benefits to workers that were on strike. Now, mind you, it, that was purely a vote to appease the American Federation of State Municipal, State County Municipal Employees, or ASME as it's called, um, and she was basically, you know, voting to support that. She was actually on the losing side because most of the commissioners, like myself, understand that if you were to allow striking employees to get unemployment, it would take the balance out of the balance of power equation between the employer and the strikers and employees because part of that balance, at least on the public side, on the private side, the balance is that you can actually drive a business out of business during a strike and end up unemployed anyway. On the public side, that doesn't happen. You know, 
public employees don't employers don't go out of business. Um, but when the employees strike, the one thing that's helping balance that is the only income they get is from whatever funds their union is set aside to, you know, provide uh, financial assistance to the employees that are on strike and not receiving paychecks. So, you know, that have exhausted all their leave, et cetera. Um, but Chair Buck supported that, that bill although the majority of commissioners there voted against supporting it, and we took a, a, a position to oppose. And then, you know, right at the end of the month, I headed down to D.C. as the um, to promote and uh, to the uh, National Association of Counties meeting uh, to promote a, uh, an effort to get the federal government to take responsibility for their federally qualified health clinics in legal matters. Um, and uh, while I was on that trip to D.C., there was a, a little matter that happened at the Capitol right at the end of February where the Republicans walked out uh, and denied a quorum uh, for the governor to move her cap and tax bill through. And it was that timber unity rally earlier in the month that gave them the backbone to do that, I think. And then March came about, and of course, this kind of started while I was in D.C. because my D.C. trip started in February and ended in March, and uh, COVID started showing up. And suddenly, it was becoming an issue. And, uh, you know, we, we got to the point where it was all about wash your hands, and wash your hands, and don't forget to wash your hands. <laughs> and, uh, you know, once the... Uh, the, the session was basically declared dead from the Republican walkout. The governor went on to uh, use executive orders to circumvent the Constitution of the state in March and try and enact her, as much of the, the carbon cap and tax scheme um, as she could by executive order. And then also in March, we had uh, Eugene announced that they were going to expand the Crazy Eights on Franklin Boulevard into the Eugene side. I, I don't know if you remember that. Um, that's a blast from the past for you there, uh, Robin. Remember when they showed, showed up with the new plans for Franklin Boulevard with more Crazy Eights? Yeah, and you remember my future, future idea uh, for that area? Yeah. When they put in the other two roundabouts, we have a gut. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, there's, besides starting to think about Crazy Eights, there was, you know, a few other things that happened in March, like Lane, our Lane County Board had to declare a public health emergency so we could be eligible for federal aid and, and uh, be able to move money around in our budget to our public health department to try and keep up with it. We also talked on the Bose No Show about how you're not supposed to flush the Clorox wipes. You're still not supposed to. But I think people finally are getting the message about that one. But when that, when you know, you've got to remember, March was no toilet paper, couldn't find Clorox wipes anywhere. People were going crazy about you know surfaces and everything else, so that you know they were using a lot of them, and people were flushing them down the toilets and killing the sewer systems. <laughs> because they don't go through the sewer treatment plants and pumps very well, because they're not toilet paper. 
there was also one other public announcement that they made too to remind people not to wear your mask uh, when it's raining or in the shower. Yeah, well, that was later on when it came to be wintertime. Yeah, I remember that. Because <laughs> when they're wet, they're not very effective. Of course, there's a lot of questions about the effectiveness of masks in general, but that's a whole other story. And, of course, you know, we talked on the Bo's No Show also about the six stages of grief for COVID, which was an interesting uh, show in itself, to try and talk about being a little bit more compassionate about how people are reacting to the whole crisis and, and – uh, and it's sort of how people react differently to grief, just like and the COVID crisis was was an event similar to a death for a lot of people. That they all react differently. And we talked about how to deal with that a little bit. But then along comes April, and uh, one of the things that by then we realized that these these restrictions we were taking for COVID were heavily damaging our economy. And one of the things you could take a direct link to, and we talked about on this show, was what's happening because of the COVID restrictions are the same things that would happen if we followed the true believer's recommendations on how to deal with climate change. It would do very similar things to our economy. You know, people stop traveling, People lost jobs. There were shortages. You know all those things that happened. You know, and you know, lo and behold, now that we're towards the end of, you know, getting close to the end of COVID, and they're looking at the uh, output of carbon globally, and even with all that depressed activity, the, the the lack of air travel and all the other things that pollute, they're still saying it wasn't enough to 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 help the climate. We have to do more. So just imagine if you if you believe in that, that carbon drives climate and that these these carbon restrictions people are proposing, which are basically controls and redistribution of wealth in our economy, are needed, they want to go worse than what the pandemic did to our economy. Because the pandemic didn't do enough to eliminate carbon emissions, according to people now. So we talked about that a little bit in April. Talked about mass controversies and you know, whether or not it was good to wear one or, or not. Um, we talked a little bit about rent and mortgage um, you know, controls that were being proposed as part of the COVID stuff and, and whether they were really constitutional to deny somebody um, the the control of their property, the income they would get without any compensation. So, you know, if they're going to do it, they've got to provide compensation. And we also got involved in a little bit of a controversy back last April because some of the folks in some of our rural communities wanted to know if there had been a case in their town, you know, because at that point we weren't reporting very many cases, you know, just a couple a day in all of Lane County if you remember those days, because we didn't have a lot of testing available. So people were pushing to have us report if there was a case in their town. And just on the rumor of a case in the city of Florence, people went on a witch hunt on social media trying to figure out who was the positive and could they find, you know, if they did find out who, they were going to keep track of whether they were leaving their house and all that and enforce their 
you know, they're quarantined, you know, by basically, you know, a, a, a mob. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, my goodness, it was the new scarlet letter to be, you know, to possibly test positive for COVID. Um, and and I kind of fought the, the geographic reporting at that time. Now there's so many cases it doesn't make any sense not to report geographically because you can't single people out, you know, violate their rights under the HIPAA legislation and also maybe even endanger them because of the way the community would have reacted at that time. But people kind of forget what April, what March and April were like in, in Lane County here. And, you know, there were other things that came up like local access roads, and we started trying to work on a redistricting plan here for Lane County because it is census year. And next year we actually have to redraw our districts. And, you know, the governor talked about policing some inmates because of the pandemic. And I talked about what a bad idea that was, particularly because due to COVID, we we're having to restrict our, our capacity of our programs that, that take in post-prison releases. At the same time, there were no jobs for those people because of the shutdowns. And we were dealing with a housing crisis, you know, where there was a shortage of housing in the first place. But the governor wanted to throw a bunch of people out of the state prison system and out to the counties for us to deal with um, because she was afraid that she might get an outbreak in a prison. And you know, towards the end of the month, we actually started thinking about how do we come out of the shutdown and this stay home, stay safe order that the governor put out. And, and there's talk about doing a phased reopening and all that. And at one point, our board on a 4-1 vote actually started to move forward with the idea of forcing hotels to take homeless people that had COVID, that tested positive for COVID, so we could, so they could be quarantined. Once again, this gets back to the idea of forcing somebody to use their property without comp, without just compensation and all. And there's a huge constitutional issue, and that's why I voted against it. Turns out we didn't need to do it. You know, it was just the first initial vote on that. It takes you know any ordinance we pass takes two votes, and uh, uh, a first reading and a second reading, and we never had a second reading on that ordinance because it became unnecessary. Um, but couldn't believe some, you know, four of our board members were willing to, to even think about forcing a private property owner to take on somebody that's got a communicable disease in a non-medical facility. We get into May and we started talking about the hair salon that reopened in Salem. I don't know if you all remember that, how the governor decided she was going to punish that person and continues to do so. She actually was on Fox News just yesterday talking about how the governor sent, you know, the Child Protective Services folks to try and take her children away from her, you know, and used every means government had to harass her for reopening this day. So, you know, be careful about how much power you allow government to have because it can be abused. And, you know, we on the board, we sent a letter to the governor May asking her to provide, you know, let us have more local control in the reopening process. And of course, something she never gave us. Um, and 
we actually um, were approved for phase one reopening because our, we controlled our, our COVID numbers here in Lane County pretty well. Also in May, the Oregon Supreme Court decided to ignore the state constitution and pass legislation and, and overturned a Baker County judge's ruling that uh, basically said that closing down religious institutions was not constitutional and the governor had exceeded her powers granted to her by the legislature to enact an emergency for more than 30 days. Um, and we've talked about that on the Bo's No Show bit. Um, and then what started showing up in, in April but really became apparent in May was how inept and woeful our unemployment department here is in the state of Oregon. In fact, we also found out that they had been given $80 million to upgrade an antiquated COBOL 1980s computer system by the federal government years ago and never did it and just sat on the money. But that's our, our government. And, you know, it got, you know, into some other issues. Uh, you know, some of my board members started talking about whether we should start regulating landlord-tenant law and campaign finance law at the county level, which I, I argued against, and we never went there, fortunately. And then May ended with a riot, literally. You know, I don't know if folks remember that, but it was, it was, you know, that final weekend in May, that Friday the 30th, I believe, was the big riot in downtown where they damaged businesses all over, you know, a, uh, a death in, while being taken into custody, custody of George, George Floyd, um, which, you know, was unfortunate. But, uh, of course, the facts hadn't come out yet, and everyone just blew it up. And it, it just seemed like it was something that they had been prepared to do and were looking for something they could cause and catalyze that. And George Floyd became that, that call, and it began 100-plus days straight of riots in Portland. So we got into June. We got into phase two of reopening here in Lane County which was great, and we were in for quite a while before the governor moved us into our two-week freeze recently. Um, but, uh, you know, the whole George Floyd thing kept, kept going, uh, had more protests here, had somebody hit by a car. Um, you know, people were calling our board meeting, telling us to defund the Eugene Police Department. You know, we were doing our, you know, of course, you know, we were finalizing our budget in June. Uh, and they didn't quite even understand these folks that were being driven by the activists to contact us, didn't even get the fact that the Board of Commissioners has no control over the Eugene Police Department and their budget. But that's what they were doing. And then in June, the governor finally fired the head of the unemployment department, not mentioning the fact what they did with that $80 million from the federal government. But I don't know how that was supposed to kind of fix the uh, unemployment situation, but at, but it at least made her look like she was doing something. She had, you know, that's part of our government, you know, a, a real criticism I have of Governor Brown is she can't stand appearing to not do something. And sometimes that do something disease that gover government officials get 
where they have to do something, what they do is worse than doing nothing. And I don't know if firing the head of the unemployment department did anything, but a lot of her, her COVID response has been a, a knee-jerk, I have to do something, like closing gyms down recently. Had, you know, did not have scientific data or anything to back doing that. And at the end of the month, I got to take off for a trip to go back and visit my um, 90, you know, 96-year-old father-in-law, World War II veteran, uh, Linwood Davenport, and, and we took that trip in what Elizabeth and I refer to as our COVID capsule, our Airstream trailer, going across country, and it was pretty, a pretty great trip, and it, it, it made me understand why RV sales had jumped so high after, when COVID got declared, because you have your own shower, you bring your own food with you, you cook and everything, and Basically, you don't have to interact or touch anything or anybody else's stuff if you don't want to. And, you know, you even, you know, don't even have to use the bathrooms at, at the gas station. <laughs> you can jump in the trailer real quick if you wanted to. Uh, you know, basically, you know, no contact trip cross country and back. So it got dubbed the COVID capsule at that time, and that name has not changed. So I came around, and uh, you know the the Black Lives Matter movement was still going strong. So we started considering the fact that should we rename Lane County, um, and I proposed the idea of changing lanes. And you know, because Joseph Lane, who Lane County is named after, was uh, a proponent of slavery and a supporter of the Confederacy. Uh, in fact, it actually ran as a vice presidential candidate under that Southern Democrat ticket. Um, and uh, we thought, you know, maybe there's somebody else with the last name of Lane that we could name the county after. And there were some other suggestions like Lois Lane and and <laughs> and things like that. But, you know, there's serious discussion back in July about should we change Lane County's name? Uh, at the same time, the, the county commissioners, you know, started working on updating our community wildfire protection plan. Mm, that seemed to be pre uh you know, having a little bit of uh, foresight or something there. Uh, and uh, we also talked on the co on the show about uh, Elizabeth got a COVID test because she had to do she had a little minor procedure, and, and in order to go in to get the procedure, she had to have the test first. So we talked about what it was like to get a COVID test because at that point in July, not many people had gotten them. You know, they hadn't gotten too widespread. And uh, the only COVID test available at that time is the one that, you know, was the most definitive test, but it requires that swab being stuck way back to your brain about, uh, <laughs> up your nose. And also we, we talked a little bit about that. Also talked about the fact that, you know, even with COVID going on and, and everything else, we we're still moving ahead with, you know, the plans to, to revamp Highway 126 between Eugene and Benita as I'm working as a stakeholder on the um, environmental assessment process. And, uh, you know, fire season started in July. It was declared as we finally, you know, the rain stopped there. And uh, we start to see just a little bit of uptick in numbers in COVID here in Lane County. But it was also directly corresponding to the increasing capacity we were seeing in our testing here in Lane County. 
And we talked about that on the Bose No Show a bit. But we also talked about, you know, towards the end of the month, um, we, we decided to uh, give a one-year extension to our largest union and a couple of their subsidiary unions um, so they wouldn't have to negotiate in the middle of a pandemic and economic crisis uh, as for a new contract because during that time it would be pretty obvious they wouldn't get a very good contract. And um, our chair, Heather Buck, was the only one that voted against that contract extension based on the fact she thought we should be giving bigger raises as part of that extension to our uh, public employees with your taxpayer money while our taxpayers were having to deal with not getting unemployment from our state because they're inept and were being put out of work by state rules, you know, um, it just was really tone deaf, if you ask me. Um, and of course, we had another riot um, towards the end to close out the month. Uh, and that riot in itself was really heinous in that it targeted a business, and it was a business they targeted because the owner had spoken out, you know, six months before that about lawlessness in downtown Eugene. And so it was basically violence intended to silence free speech, which is just wrong. Mob violence at that. And I, and I challenged the leadership of, uh, of Eugene and the county and the, and the state to condemn that attack on the Elkhorn Brewery by this mob. But I seem to be the only one that wanted to do that. Um, and at the same time, we also had a, 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 an update on our homeless um, sheltering plan, which was, you know, our intent is to try and eliminate homelessness as much as possible. And if, you're, if you guys remember us referring to the TAC um, study that was done on that, well, that update suddenly blew the TAC numbers out of the water because they, they redefined um, the, the terms of how they were going to define homelessness and, and all that. And what went from a 50 to 75 bed shelter suddenly became a 400 bed shelter and the number of uh, other programs blew up in size. And of course, the, with that, the price tag got huge and Councilman Alan Zelenka of the city of Eugene immediately proposed a tax to fund that new plan. So that kind of closed out July. In August, we were getting ready and had a special session at, in Salem to try and deal with the COVID crisis. Um, and at the same time, they tried to sneak in some stuff about, um, you know, changing the rules for police and uniform, you know, what, you know, uniform you know, having people revamp their uniforms and all that. Some of that didn't go through, but they thought about it. You know, should have been all about budget stuff. Um, but, you know, at the same time, we we're starting to understand how Portland gets everything. That's what PG&E stands for. Because at that point, we realized the governor was not going to distribute the COVID relief funds as intended by Congress in the CARES Act and she was going to hold on to them and keep them for the state, basically, so that the city of Portland and Multnomah County and Washington County that all got direct funding through that act 
we're going to end up with about $170 per resident, while Lane County was only going to end up with $27 per resident at that time. And at the same time, about a week later, after you know she refused to try and correct that, she decided to to assign 100 state troopers to try and deal with the riots in Portland, which were on about 90 days, 80 to 90 days at this time. And of course, that means those 100 troopers are coming out of the rest of the state because there's only about 400 people in the patrol and police enforcement division of the Oregon State Police. So you take 100, you're taking about 25% of that capacity. And that means rural areas of the state are being robbed. So Portland gets the COVID relief funds at, at a rate that's, you know, six times of what we're getting down here in Lane County. And they take our, our patrol officers and reassign them to Portland. Portland gets everything. So, at, you know, at the same time, Governor Brown tried to get through something in that short session that would have had school employees cut in line ahead of everybody else, including the restaurant workers and hotel workers and all. She put out of work with her stay-at-home orders for unemployment. Not only does she have an inept unemployment office, that is a direct responsibility of the executive branch of the state that hadn't updated their computers, even though they'd given, given the money 12 years ago by the federal government. She was going to make state-funded employees in schools. Of course, now you're talking about teachers association, union employees who heavily contributed to her campaign um, at the head of the line. We're getting their cases resolved. Fortunately, the legislature thought better of that and didn't pass it, but she was advocating for it back in August. And in August, we also, you know, as part of this whole effort to try and deal with, uh, you know, systemic and institutionalized racism in Lane County, the board held a, a evening public listening session to hear from the public on that subject. And only three people chose to speak to us. So with all the uproar and everything else in the community about how this was so such a huge issue, when we offer the chance for people to tell us, you know, where the problems are, you know, what, what the issues are, what we might be able to improve, what we should be doing, we got three people. So the month then ends with uh, Governor Brown throwing Lane County and other counties under the bus when it came to COVID. Um, you know, there, if you remember August, right at the end, there started to be a surge in case numbers at the end of the summer. And she basically said the counties weren't doing a good enough job controlling it. Yet at the same time, she starved us of the funds those. COVID relief funds that I talked about a little bit earlier. She didn't give us the funds that would have helped us deal with it. And at the same time, she also refused to give us any local control over restrictions and business openings or closures. Nope, it's all happening at, at OHA and the state level. But it's our fault that, there was going, that we were going through a surge at that time. And that's how August ended. 
And if that wasn't bad enough, September began pretty ominously. And I, before I get into September, because it, you know we're at, now we're really getting into 2020, kind of saying, here, hold my beer, um, I want to remind folks, this is a call-in show. And if you have any 2020 memories you want to bring up or something else completely different you want to talk about, the number is 646-721-9887. And just press 1, and that lets Robin know you want to get on the conversation. Again, it's 646-721-9887, and don't forget to press 1. Sorry, a little bit of uh, lemon ginger tea there wet my whistle. So I can keep talking because September... Like I said, it began really ominously, carried out with multiple arson-caused fires. And there was a Friday afternoon where I got a phone call that there had been multiple fires, and it turned out they bracketed my house in some ways. It wasn't terribly close. It wasn't like they were targeting me. They were just along roadways, and obviously somebody had been setting them on purpose um, on Friday afternoon. And then later in the weekend, uh, some idiot decided to start one down off of Sweet Creek Road in Mapleton uh, that turned into a pretty good-sized fire. Well, Mother Nature looked at that and said, you know what? I, that, you think that's something? You know, I thought Sweet Creek was, was you know, pretty much an emergency and all that stuff, and, and, and you know, it was a real concern. We had to evacuate a couple people. It threatened a couple structures. Um, yeah, then came September 7th, and Mother Nature said, this is what an east wind, wind event is. And I think people have forgotten the possibility of east wind events in the Pacific Northwest, in particular Oregon. They happened in the 30s a couple times. In fact, the famous Tillamook burn was an east wind event. And, you know, we saw fire at a level that was, hadn't been seen since the 30s in, the, in this state. And it was devastating and traumatic and uh, just really took everybody by surprise completely dominated the news for weeks here. Uh, and, you know, the smoke, the evacuations, uh, dealing with trying to, to get it enough manpower because there are so many fires in the state to get it under control and get it, you know, control lines in, just the amazing work that was done to do that. Um, it was just an incredible event. But it was set up by that east wind event, 70 to 80 mile an hour gusts, 10% humidity, high temps, these raging winds and low humidities, you know, blew branches out of trees, blew trees over and down and onto power lines, sparked fires, and there they went, and they ran. And it was a horrible beginning of September. Well, I'm going to take a quick breath here because we do have somebody yeah. that wants to get in on the Nose Nose show. Becky, you uh, got a 2020 memory or something else you want to talk about? Uh, yes, actually, Commissioner Bozovich, thank you so much for taking my call. I have four things I want to ask you about, and I can take the um, answers off the air. Or, you know. Okay, number one, on this Heather Buck 
chair lady. Now, I know that this is the first year she has ever been on the commission. So she has no experience working with you guys or what you do. So I've been wondering for a long time, how on earth did she get elected as chair? And, and I'm hoping that you can answer these questions, but if not, for whatever reason, that I understand. That was number one. Number two, do we have a constitutional sheriff in Lane County? And if so, can't he give some pushback to these lockdown executive things that the dictator is holding over us? Number three, this has to do with the rental moratoriums. I've, 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 known, I've known that for the legislatures, has, maybe they haven't tried to change it, but a lot of people have tried to get the PERS, equi uh, not equipment, um, the PERS contract fixed so that we don't have to pay so much to these people. And the Supreme Court has always said that that is an existing contract that the PERS people have. And therefore, it's already existing and they cannot change it. So why is it, if you know, that they can now say, the legislature, that they can change our rental agreements that we have with a tenant that's already ex it's already um, existing. How can they step in and change our contract? And as you said earlier, without any compensation. And I know they've just just uh, passed the new. Ex oh, sorry. Okay. Um, how can, how, how can they do that? Uh, okay, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. So my, my next question is uh, the, 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 the CARES money that we were supposed to be getting for Oregon. Now, I know the dictator has given Snack Block, which is an Antifa snack bar, $145,000 of our CARES Act money to that terror group. Can you say anything about that? Thank you so very much for listening and um, doing these programs. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Becky, and thank you for listening. So we'll, we'll try and deal with those somewhat in order. So Heather Buck is actually in her second year as a commissioner, and uh, you know, when, when she was elected and Joe Bernie was elected, it swung the commissioner's uh, majority from uh, the, the more conservatives. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I'm saying more because I wouldn't classify um, Pat Farr and, and Sid Lycan necessarily as, as hard conservatives um, and uh, to a very progressive, very left progressive um majority. That majority was made up of Commissioner Sorensen, Commissioner Bernie, and Commissioner Buck. 
and in the first year of that new majority, Commissioner Sorensen, who did have experience of having been chair before, served as chair, and Commissioner Buck um, was uh, made vice chair, which isn't terribly unusual. The year I came in and, and we took over as the new majority uh, from the previous progressive majority, um, we made uh, uh, Dave Stewart chair because of his experience and uh, Sid Lykin vice chair. And then, you know, the following year, the, the vice chair moved up to chair as we rotated things around. So that's how she ended up chair, just so you know. And it's based on being part of the progressive majority, not necessarily on her experience and knowledge of the county. So it's political. As far as a constitutional sheriff, um, one that, you know, there's a lot of legal scholarly discussion about the whole issue of constitutional sheriffs and, and how, how that actually works. But I will say that I know that when along came Trudy's decided to, to stay open during the freeze and all that and, and, and have uh, in-restaurant dining, the state tried to get our sheriff's department involved in enforcement with that and our sheriff's department refused. So I'll just say that much. And, and he has repeatedly said that, that we do not have staff to do any sort of COVID shutdown or mask mandate or any sort of uh, policing of how many people showed up at Thanksgiving or Christmas at somebody's house with our sheriff's deputies. So um, whether or not he's a constitutional sheriff, he is not cooperating with the state as far as doing any enforcement of uh, those state mandates. Um, on the rent control and the PERS contract, you know, I hadn't really put that connection together, but I'd always thought of, you know, the rent as a contractual obligation and it's, and that contract has value. So therefore it is, you know, something if you're going to take away, you should be compensating. Um, and that's really been my, my issue with the rent moratoriums and uh, the eviction um, moratoriums uh, is that they take a, um, a value away from the property owners and we're not compensating for that. I think eventually somebody is going to win a lawsuit against the state and um, there's going to be a huge bill to pay when they do. Because there's going to, you know, once one person wins that suit, it's going to open the floodgates to a class action of, of landlords. Um, you know, supposedly some of the the rent support and and uh, you know support to landlords is supposed to make up for that, but it's been nowhere close to the actual loss of income. And uh, so that's kind of. I agree with you. If PERS is a contract and can't be changed by legislation, then it really becomes questionable. How can each, how can you know this rent moratorium be put in place by legislation? So, good point, and I really appreciate that. I'm going to, I'm going to remember that because I will use that in future discussions. So, thank you for that, that tip, Becky. And finally, we get down to CARES Act money and where it goes. I, you know, this has been a sore point with me in some ways. You know, when it 
gets to local government directly like Portland got, and then Portland decides to use it to fund theaters and, and you know, an Antifa snack bar or whatever else, their local officials are going to have to answer for that to their local voters. If it's being held by the state and the state does that, they're so far removed from the voters that they don't necessarily get held for, held liable for it uh, by the voters. And that's why I was so upset when we weren't actually given that money directly like they intended to under the CARES Act. Because then if we decided, Lane County Board of Commissioners, to use that money in frivolous ways, you all could hold us accountable. Um, but right now, they definitely, um, there's, there's some really weird use of that money going on and very questionable. I mean, it's just, it's, it's like the restrictions. They're not based on science. They're not based on the data we have for the last, you know, 11 months now of this pandemic. Some of the use of the, the economic relief is not based on good economics or even going to the people that it really matters. You know, the state of Oregon had to stop one of their programs because the courts basically said stop it, but they had already spent 90% of the money because they were giving out money based on race. And what does that have to do with how this shutdowns impacted you? You know, is race some kind of qualification to economic damage? You know, it, just, it was, it was uh, you know, how, they, how they're dealing with this whole COVID thing has just been um, not scientific, not driven by, by good theory. So kind of gets to your four questions. Thank you. Because it kind of all related to stuff that dealt, dealt with 2020 as we were doing our year in review. We've gotten up to September when we were talking about the fires and the incredible, you know, almost once in a lifetime. And the last time we saw fires like this was 90 years ago, you know, uh, 80 to 90 years ago in, in Oregon. <clears throat> but there is evidence in the, in the record of tree rings and other, um, you know, even, you know, from Native American history, that those kind of east wind events happen and that you get these stand replacement huge burns in both the coast range and the um, west side, you know, west slopes of the Cascades uh, at different intervals. In fact, uh, in the west slopes of the Cascades, it's every two to 300 years and out in the coast range, it's every five to 800 years. Um, they, that they determined that they have these, these events. And I only know that because I did a tour of the uh, experimental forest up there off of the Mackenzie River and talked to some of the, the uh, scientists up there that were working up there from uh, Oregon State University. And they had, you know, they had talked about, you know, the fire behaviors in the, these forests. So, those are the folks that want to, you know, assign this to some climate change event, wrong. It's a naturally occurring thing that happens now and then uh, in, in this area, and it's driven by the geography and weather patterns. <clears throat> but um, it was a devastating event, though. Any 
major natural disaster can be that devastating, whether it's floods, tsunamis, earthquakes, wildfires. <clears throat> and part of our job is to try and help victims of that event and help them recover. And we talked about a lot of that in uh, September, along with extending the COVID emergency that we had declared back uh, in March. And we also interviewed a couple people on the Bozo show in September, one of which was Bill London uh, from KPNW, to talk about what it was like to report on the fires. And, you know, he lived in the studio for over a week, basically, staying there overnight, gathering information, and he became one of the best sources of information. His morning um, news broadcast had more information about the fires, their status, uh, what was happening uh, than any media outlet did a wonderful job, the London did. And they kind of finished the month out with an interview with, with Scott Jorgensen that I had postponed because I had actually had him scheduled the week of the fire breakout <clears throat> to talk about his book on Dennis Richardson and got to remember Dennis, Dennis Richardson and the wonderful person that he was that week. And then October, we started talking about floodplain ordinances and how the fire how it might affect the fire victims. And actually, the floodplain stuff started the week before the fires <clears throat> and had been kind of innocuous up to that point. But right before the fires, the progressive majority I was just talking about flipped what the, the actual ordinance was going to do and made it into something that was more about um, restricting development close to streams and rivers than it was about life safety protection of structures and people, <clears throat> which is what the ordinance is actually supposed to do. And we talked about that and the, the potential it had to impact fire victims. And my chair was upset that I actually went public with my concerns and got fire victims concerned about it and claimed that what I was doing was unethical, unprofessional, and beneath the office of the commissioner. Um, and ultimately, I proved, and, and in a recent vote, she demonstrated that she is willing to cause fire victims greater cost and time to get permits by passing the ordinance with the language in it that I was concerned about back in October when she called me unethical, unprofessional, and beneath the office. So I want to ask you, who do you think was the unethical, unprofessional, and beneath the office person? The one that warned the fire victims this might be coming and was trying to get them to provide input? Or the person that downplayed that and then ultimately voted in favor of costing them time and money and possibly even denial of their permits. I still haven't gotten an apology from Chair Buck about that. And of course, we get into November and there's election meltdowns and everything else going on. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about a lot of different things during that month. And we got into December and, and uh, the governor started moving goalposts. You know, she had to freeze the month before, and then she started this risk matrix thing. And, and Lane County has been declared as an extreme risk county, even though ever since she started doing that on all the metrics that they're, they're tallying, 
we've been below the state average the whole time. So even though we're below state averages, we're extreme risk. Something doesn't make sense here. So, and then we also talked about just how unscientific some of the restrictions are in December. But we finished out the year with taxation without representation. And I'm going to leave with that because we'll probably be talking a lot more about that in January because in January, the city starts collecting a payroll tax. And if the city of Eugene, that is, and if you work in the city of Eugene or your employer's headquartered in the city of Eugene, you better start asking some questions because you're going to see a new deduction on your first paycheck in January. And, uh, you know, I don't think some of what they're doing is necessarily within the bounds of the powers of the city and legal. And once people start getting that withheld from them, they actually have a damage against them if it was done illegally. And therefore, they, you, along with me, will have standing in a lawsuit. And it, we can't be dismissed for not having standing. If we sued before we started getting that collected, we have difficulty proving standing in court. But we will have standing come January, and we will talk more about taxation without representation and fair taxation in January. Well, that wraps up my year in review for the Bose Nose Show. I want to thank you for listening this year. I want to thank my producer and call screener extraordinaire, Robin, for producing the show. She does this own pocket free of charge for me, and I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of the Bose Nose Show. Have a happy and safe new year, and thank God 2020 is over with. I think I'm going to go have a glass of wine, pet my poodle, and take a nap.